If you want to turn to Revelation 7, maybe we can pray here together and then we'll move on here in this, read this chapter. Father, we just need you every day. We need you today. We need help. And so we're looking to you to help us. And we're trusting by faith that you will because you promised, you said we could ask for your spirit. And we do. We ask that you pour out your spirit on us and fill us. Help us to see wonderful things out of your word. We just look to you. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to jump into Revelation 7 and hopefully, uh, Lord willing, get through this whole chapter and one extra verse uh, today. And just by way of context, we spent a couple weeks talking about the six seals. And then today we're going to go over the seventh seal, which is actually an 8-1. And kind of a strange split of the chapter here. But we're going to read chapter 7 and then chapter 8, verse 1. And after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four ones of the earth, that no one might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God and on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from Naphtali, 12,000 from Manasseh, 12,000 from Simeon, 12,000 from Levi, 12,000 from Issachar, 12,000 from Zebulun, 12,000 from Joseph, and 12,000 from Benjamin. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages was standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence, and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor the scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Okay. So today we're going to talk about this whole section, which really culminates in the seventh seal, which it seems like is talking about peace at the end of the age, that there's silence. 
that, like it talked about, there's going to be no more tears or there's not going to be any scorching heat. We're going to be with the Lord. This is the culmination of all things and all the judgments and all the suffering, it's over. And so silence is the last seal. That's what's going to end the world. The end of the world is going to be the end of the beginning of eternity, I guess we could say. It, to say it another way, is going to be peace. There's going to be peace. Things are going to be put right. We can be thankful for that. And that's what this whole section is talking about. One thing that you might just know going into this, you know, from here, we're going to be repeating a lot because Revelation repeats a lot. And so we're going to go through the seven seals and then the seven trumpets. And it's going to sound, well, this sounds familiar. Well, it is. It's very similar. Um, so I'm going to go through and talk about some of the different symbols, things that are symbols, what they possibly could mean, um, what it seems like they mean. But overall that, I want to kind of give um, a question to think about and an application, really, as we look through this whole section. And it's two things. Two things that I wonder if you've ever... I hadn't really connected these in my mind before this. I really was thinking about this this week. Our faith in one on one side and our hope on the other side. Faith and hope. And I hadn't really thought about them separately. But I think we'll see as we go through this section um, how they're connected. Because they could be disconnected from the Scripture, right? We could have our faith in the right place and our hope in the wrong place. Does that make sense? We could have our faith in the right place and our hope in the wrong place. Or vice versa. We want both to be aligned. And it really makes a difference. And I think you know the right answer is that our faith is in Christ, but so is our hope. Our hope is also in Christ. And I think there's a difference, and I'll try and kind of tease it out here. I'll give you an example here to try and get this across. Your house is sitting on a foundation. I was thinking about this because of all the rain. You know, there's foundations and good foundations and bad foundations. And everything's held up by the foundation. I think we all know that when we go to bed at night, really our faith, we're trusting that that foundation is going to hold us up and going to keep us safe and going to be strong, you know, and that our house isn't going to collapse. But the foundation of your house is not your hope, right? See the difference? That if there's no house on top of the foundation, nobody says when they get their foundation poured, I always hope to have a foundation out here. The whole point is to have a house on top, right? Does that make sense? You can have your faith in it, and it's just there. But it's not something you delight in. It's not something you're hoping in. It's not some You're trusting it to be there for you, to help you. But it's not your joy, your delight, your hope. You're not looking forward to, I just can't wait to get home and just look at our foundation. <laughs> right? That's not how it works. But Christ is to be both our faith and our hope. He's not just a just what saves us from our sins, and now we can move on and live our life and be more comfortable. He's our faith and our hope. We want to be with Him. We want to know Him. We want to be like Him. 
And sometimes these things can get out of whack. You know, like people have experienced this where their body gets, it gets out of whack. You're, you're not quite aligned and there's pain there. And this can be the case with us when our faith and our hope aren't aligned. That there, it causes pain. It causes maybe a twisting. You're not quite standing right in the Christian life. Couple more examples in our, in our culture. I've met several people who would say their hope is being with Christ. And what's their, where's their faith? In being good enough to get there. That's not aligned, is it? Their hope is to be with Christ and their faith is in their own strength. And that we want to be biblical, right? We want our faith and our hope to be where God wants us to have it. I'll read you a verse here from First Peter that kind of gets us across and then we'll jump into Revelation 7 again. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, this is actually two different verses, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip ahead. This is both from 1 Peter 1. Christ, who through whom, who through whom, sorry, who through him are all believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So that your faith and your hope are in God. Both. Our faith and our hope are in God. And so, as we look kind of at the end of all things here in, in Revelation chapter 7, we're going to ask these things. Where's our faith and where's our hope? And are they aligned biblically? Is our faith in Jesus and our hope in our best life now? See? You see how this could get off. Jesus could be the, you know, the stepping stool to get you the house you want or the success you want or, or whatever it is. And that's not right. Okay. So that in the back of your mind, we're going to go through Revelation 7 and then we're going to come back to this at the end and kind of look at this as we go through. But I'm going to try and hit a lot of different things here. I'll try and be fairly quick and I'll give a disclaimer. I should probably give this disclaimer more often. Um, especially because sometimes I can feel my brain slowing down. The We had several wake-ups in the night last night. <laughs> so I'm running at about maybe 65%. So if I don't make sense, that's why. Probably. <laughs> or at least we can blame it on that. <laughs> Hopefully that's why. Okay. The first point I want to get across here from Revelation 7 is that God knows his own people and that they will be spared from judgment. God knows his own people and they will be spared from judgment. This comes across in several different ways, but for, I'll give you a couple examples here. God says in Revelation 7, 3, do not, um, this is what he, I think this might be through the angels, but this is what it says. Do not harm the earth or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So you see there a restraining of judgment. There's judgment that's restrained. Not only that, um, later on, you know, you see that those who are Christ are washed. Their robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's ultimate judgment. Uh, I didn't say that God keeps his people from suffering because it says they come through the tribulation, but he does keep his people from judgment. 
This is probably a parallel to an Old Testament passage. And I'll read just a couple of verses here. I won't read the whole section just for the sake of time and try to keep your attention here. This is a very similar to Ezekiel 9 and 10. But I'll read you just a couple of verses here. Now the glory of the Lord of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed in linen who had the writing case at his waist. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others he said in my hearing, Pass through the city after him, and strike, your eye shall not spare, and you shall show no pity. And he goes on to talk about judgment. But basically, it's the same idea that God's servants are sealed and marked to be spared for judgment. It's uh, exact. It's very similar. There's a lot of parallels here. I won't go into all the, you know, several different parallels. Even what happens afterwards is similar. But the reality is that the message is the same, That, and the, sim- the symbolism is the same, that God has sealed his people and they'll be spared from judgment. That's good news. God knows his own people. And this comes back to faith and hope. Our faith is in Christ. That You notice that, again, like I said, that the reason we're spared from judgment is that our robes have been washed white in the blood of the Lamb. Our robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's good news. Our faith is not in that we're good enough. It doesn't say, and the ones that were sealed were the ones that were just had their had pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. Now it says, the ones who washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Meaning, we all had dirty robes that need to be washed, and we all washed them in the same place, in the blood of the Lamb. God knows us, and we will be spared from judgment, not because we deserve it, not because we deserve to be spared, but because the opposite. We deserve judgment, but Christ took it for us. And that's our faith is in Christ. It's also our hope. Our hope is in Christ there. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is not centered on how good we're going to be. And our hope doesn't stop there, though, does it? It doesn't just stop with no punishment. It goes on. Okay? Uh, A couple more points here. God knows His own people, and they will be forgiven and saved. This is very much overlapping the other, but it's slightly different. Okay? I want you to notice one specific thing here. Again, this is, I think, a parallel to another passage. Revelation 7, 9, you want to read that with me? After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Before I jump into this palm branches thing, I guess I should say this. There's a lot of debate on this whole section. The way I take it, basically the debate is, is this first half about all the different tribes, and if you you might notice one of the tribes, Dan, is not there, um, and there's debate on that, and I guess I would just say, I'm not sure. I don't know why Dan isn't there. Um, I don't know. There's I'm sure there's a meaning, but I don't know what it is. Not confident enough to tell you, but Basically, the debate is, okay, is this first half where it talks about the tribes of Israel, is that talking about a literal salvation in Israel? Which we know there's going to be people saved from Israel, uh, Jewish people. And then the second half, is that talking about all people, all nations? 
Or are they both talking about the same thing, where the first one is kind of just a repetition, a symbolic repetition of the second? And for the purposes of this sermon, I guess what I would say is this. We'll come back to this later. It actually comes up again later. But I would say this. Either way, what's going to happen is the all tribes, tongue, people, and nation is going to include Jews and Gentiles. The whole debate is, is the first half of the chapter talking about just Jews and the second half talking about Gentiles? Everyone agrees there's going to be both. And so I guess I would say this. Yes, Jews are going to be saved, ethnic Jews and Gentiles. There's going to be someone from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. If you want to say the first half is just talking about the Jews and the second half is talking about Gentiles, we get to the same place. I think it's probably both are talking about both. Um, And there's several reasons for that. Just the symbolic nature of the numbers, 12,000 exactly. And later on we'll see some other reasons, but I'll save that for later chapters. Okay, now... God knowing his own people and that they'll be saved and forgiven. This section where they're putting down the palm branches and they're crying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is really, really similar to something that happens. The only other time it talks about palm trees in the New Testament, palm branches, is this. And I'm going to read this to you from John 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now the word Hosanna literally means help, save, help, save me. And what do they say here? Salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See the connection there? They're crying Hosanna to the King. And here they're saying it's accomplished. Salvation belongs to Him. They're they're no longer saying save us. They're praising for having been saved. And so this is really the culmination of that. We're forgiven and we're saved. We've not only been freed from the judgment of sin, we've been freed from the power of sin. We're really saved. We're changed. We've not, we're not just criminals that have been forgiven and left to be the same. We're new. We're changed. The penalty of sin has been paid and the power of sin has been broken. Both. We have this king and our hope, again, is in Christ. This is really important. Our hope isn't just that we're not going to suffer. That's true. We aren't going to, you know, if we're trusting Christ, we're not going to suffer. But we're actually saved from all the results and the effects of sin. And that's what this whole section is about, about the sun not striking us and wiping every tear from our eye. And we're going to be with, we're going to be right in His presence. All effects of sin separated from the presence of God, all the suffering in the world. That's the good news. Ties into the next section. Um, God knows his own people, and none will be lost. So this idea of the 144,000 is really a complete, a completeness, that none are going to be lost. I don't think it's literally talking about 144,000, literally. And there are people that believe that. For example, Jehovah's Witnesses. They, If Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, you know, they talk 
to you about how there's no, it's literally 100, only 144,000 are going to be saved. So I like to ask tongue in cheek, this is a, they laugh with me. I'm not trying to make fun of them, you know, but I'll ask them, you know, it says from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, you know, how many languages there are and there have been in the history of the world? A lot. <laughs> so are you going to be one of the two English speaking white guys there? Because <laughs> there's going to be, Thousands, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of languages. <laughs> so if it's literal, is it, <laughs> is it just you two, you know? And the reason I bring that up is not, I don't, not to make fun of them, they'll laugh with me, but I'll say, you know, I think there's going to be more than that. And that there's actually, Christ is going to save a lot more than that. Um, but the reality is, and that's good news for us that it's not literal, that it, this 12 from each tribe is symbolically saying this, God knows his own people. Just like we read in the last chapter that he he said to the martyrs, wait until the number's complete. None are going to be lost. None are going to be lost. That's what God is teaching us here. God knows his own people and none will be lost. And this is really kind of what's going on when he, the angel asks him, you know, who are these people? And he says, sir, you know. Well, that's just... It sounds weird to us, and there's actually several times in the Bible where these kind of, um, I guess the best way to call it would be idioms, you know, come across. And they're kind of confusing because it's not something we would say, but this is a standard response to someone's teacher. Sir, you know. Like, teach me is basically what they're saying. And it's very common. It's not a strange thing to say at all. People who heard this would know exactly what it's talking about. And other things like that, um, for example... When throughout Jesus' trial, he says, you have said so. He says that over and over. And it was a kind of a common, um, I guess, idiom, we would say, a response to say what you said. You're the one that said it. It's true. It came right out of your mouth, not, not mine. And so just knowing those things kind of helps. This isn't kind of a cryptic response. This is just a standard, you tell me, teach me type of response and a humble response. And he says to him, sir, you know, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We're gonna, every Christian is gonna be brought through difficulties. Tribulation just means suffering, the great suffering. And the reality is, is that we're all, we all are delivered through suffering. Life is hard. There's a lot of emotional, physical, spiritual difficulties but our hope again is in christ that he's going to get us through our faith is in christ that we're going to make it through and he's the one that's going to keep us that we're not going to be lost because we've got it all figured out because we handled everything perfectly because we could foresee all problems coming forward and and prepared for them no our hope is in a person jesus and our faith is in a person jesus God knows his own people and none will be lost. That's what it's talking about here. And that's good news, right? It's good news we talked about two weeks ago, all the difficulties of the fall of Jerusalem and, and the suffering and so many horrible things went on in the, in the first century. And God brought people through. And whatever goes on in our lifetime, in our specific lives, he's going to bring us through. That we can have faith in him. Not only that, God knows his own people and he has given us a purpose. 
Revelation 7. Let's read 14 through 17 again here together and just. This is right after we just read that they have washed their white, their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Then verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on his throne will shelter them with his presence, and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor scorching heat, for the Lamb is in their midst of their throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God knows his own people and has given them a purpose. That God has given you a purpose. And I'll use something that we've said before. Maybe you remember this or not. Here's a quiz for you. Ready? It's from, oh man, I should have looked it up more than a year ago. Why did God make me? Why did God make me? Anybody remember? Any of them? I hope one person at least does. One or two. <laughs> I know some, I know some, some people do, but they don't want to say it. Um, to serve him, to be like him, and to be with him all our days. To serve him, to be like him, and to be with him all our days. Went through that for um, a summer, several summers ago. And the reality is, is that all these are hit here. What's our purpose in life? What's our hope in life? This is back to where we started. Our faith and our hope. If our hope is just to be comfortable and um, ease, maybe like a heavenly retirement type of situation, (laughs) we might be disappointed actually because we're going to be serving God. Serve also means worship, but we're going to be serving. There's going to be work. It's going to be perfect work. It's going to be work without all the suffering, but we're going to be servants. We're still going to have things to do, which maybe a relief to you or, or maybe it's not but the reality is this is the reality <laughs> we're going to be servants of God we're going to serve him we're going to be like him in that we're going to be holy we're going to be washed we're going to be clean we're going to be new and when we see him we're going to be we're going to be like him when we see him as he is we're going to be changed and we're going to be with him before him that means face to face and this is our hope that's our hope Our hope is not just to avoid suffering. Our hope is actually in Jesus. We want to know him. We want to be with him. We want to be like him. We want to serve him. And if that's not our hope, something's not not right. And the Christian life is going to be harder than it needs to be. A lot harder. Think about it this way. How many times are your hopes, do your hopes start to get misplaced? I'll give you an example, personal example. Is It's easy to come in and be discouraged at the meetings when it's so small, isn't it? It's easy to get discouraged. But where's our hope? Our hope was never in how many people are here. And if, no matter what happens, our hope is not right here in this one little building. Our hope is in Jesus. And regardless of what happens, regardless of how many people are here, Regardless of who knows what could happen. We can have hope and assurance and certainty and joy because our hope is in Jesus. 
He's going to defeat evil. He's going to wash away our sins. He's going to bring us on to the end. And we're going to be with him forever and ever, eternity. That's a lot better than having more people here. (laughs) And that's guaranteed, right? And there's so many things like that in our life where we can, our hopes just get misaligned just a little bit and we forget. We're not living for here. We're not living for right now. We're not living for everything to go right today. We're not living for our kids to always behave. We're not living for there never to be water in the basement. (laughs) We're not living for our bank accounts to always be full, for things to always be easy, for our health to always be good. We're living for Jesus, to know Him, to serve Him, to worship Him, to be like Him, and to be with Him. And if that's our hope, we can rest, even when those other things aren't there. It doesn't mean that we don't enjoy some of those things. That's not it at all. But we're talking about where does our hope lie? God actually commands us to enjoy all those. God commands us to enjoy the food we're given. God commands us whatever he's given you to enjoy it each day. That's absolutely true. So I'm not saying we don't, we're not ascetics or something like that where we just shy away from all enjoyment. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that our ultimate hope is always Jesus. Even in those things, where's our real joy? It's back to God. We run those things in praise back to God. Thank you so much for the day you give me today. Thank you for the family you give me. Thank you for the home you give me. Thank you for the food you provided. And in that, we have our faith and our hope aligned. Our hope is in Christ. Our faith is in Christ. To serve Him, to be like Him, to be with Him all our days. How are we going to do that? Again, our faith has to be in Christ. We can't do it on our own. We're not capable. Let's say, I mean, you remember those little bracelets they used to have, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Remember that? Maybe some of you probably do. <laughs> little Other little kids don't. They would have these little bracelets, and they're actually really popular. This might surprise you that when I went to public school in the 90s, 1900s, <laughs> um, even just... All the kids would have these little bracelets with these letters, WWJD, and it stood for what would Jesus do? They were really, really popular. And some kids would have like 50 of them, like (laughs) all the different colors. I can still feel that little, there's like a little plastic clip that they would clip together. I can still feel that just thinking about it. But anyways, what would Jesus do? I would wear that and I would try and think about it and me and my little friends would wear it and we would talk about it and we did a terrible job. It was impossible to be like Jesus what would Jesus do? And there's many times you just think, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what Jesus would do. We can't do it apart from him, right? Our hope is not that we've got it all figured out again. Our hope is to be like Jesus, but we better sure have our faith in Jesus so we're never going to be like him. That's another good example of a mismatch. I was sure hoping to be like Jesus. I really believe that. I'd really like to be like Jesus, but I certainly was not trusting him each day. I was trying to figure it out on my own. And that wasn't the way to do it. So again, our hope and our faith aligned. This is really countercultural to the world, okay? The things we're saying are really, a lot of our hope is internal. It's not, at least right now in this life, one day it's going to be external. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and we're reading about that here. But right now, to serve Him, to be like Him, to be with Him, we can have a foretaste of all these things we're ultimately hoping for now. 
we can serve God where we are. We can be like him where we are. We can be with him where we are. It's not face to face, but he's really here with us. Whereas the world is putting all their hope in external things. Bigger houses, bigger bank accounts, worldly success. We're hoping for newness of life. We're hoping for this new life in Christ. Because we, you can remember the time when you weren't living to serve God. You didn't want to be with God. You didn't want to be like Christ. You just want to do your own thing. And your hope certainly wasn't in that. And mine wasn't either. But we have this new life. A life filled with Christ. Whereas the world, what is new life? If somebody said they, uh, they were going to have a new life, newness of life, would probably be something like winning the lottery. <laughs> you know, We're going to get all new stuff. You know, Something like that. One more example that how this is countercultural. The world a lot of times looks up to people that are physically, outwardly wealthy and successful. People that are good-looking, rich, and inwardly poor. And it's obvious that they're inwardly poor, right? Think about, I'm 100% sure you get on the news and read a story about a celebrity who looks you know, like a supermodel and has all the money in the world and is going into rehab because inwardly they're poor. It's just a signpost. It's just a reminder that our hope needs to be in Christ. That those things, the things that the world is saying, hey, place your hope here, they don't actually satisfy. And we don't want let, to let that pull us off to the side, do we? We don't want to let the world distract us. I don't know about you, and maybe it's different for different people, but our faith in Christ, that seems so much more solid. Maybe it's just that we talk about it more. Where's your faith? Is it in Jesus or is it in something else? And I'm just trying to add to that and remind you to ask you this a second question along with that. And where's your hope? Is your hope also in Jesus? Has it kind of slipped a little bit to where it's like, you know what, I was really hoping for a 4.0 or a full-ride scholarship, or whatever it is for you. Has your hope slipped at all? Do you know that you're, sh- you're trusting Christ with your sins, your soul, and your life, but subtly your your hope has slipped to, in, to something else, something settling for something less than actually knowing Christ and being with Him, like, ultimately? Our hope is in the person of Christ, and to, knowing Him and to be like Him. I'll give you just a couple of examples from verses and then we'll close here. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, for, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. That's one example. I'll give you an Old Testament example that's very similar to that. It's a little bit different, but gives the same feel. 
can find these minor prophets I'm on under the spotlight here. Okay. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. These are the things we're looking forward to. And I just want you to think about and pray about these things and ask the Lord, hey, ask the Lord, Lord, would you search my heart and see if my hope has slipped in any way or I've subtly began to lose the vision of ultimately being with you? It's a really big deal, especially when hard things come. I mean, really hard things. Deeply, deeply hard things. If you lose a child or a parent or your health in a a major, major way, just devastating things. I'm sure sure you know people or read about things on the news. Just really hard things. It's almost unbearable if you don't remember that this isn't the end. This isn't all there is. That there's an eternity. And the worst thing that can happen to us is not death or physical pain and suffering. The worst thing is to be separated from God. To not know Him. That's worse. And so... This is the message that God was giving to this first century church, but also to us. There's going to be difficulties. That's what we just came through. We just came through all these seals that are difficulties in the world. And then a reminder that that's not the end. Our hope is not in there not being wars, and there not being there always being enough food, there always being health. Our hope was never in that. It was always in Christ. And it wasn't for this world right now to be put right today. It's that it's going to be put right forever and ever and ever. And that's good news. So we can just pray this. We could say this as a prayer from God. I want my faith and my hope to be in you. And where that's not aligned, would you change me? Would you forgive me and help me? And he will. And that's really... That's really a reminder, I think, we need to hear often just because of the way Revelation is set up. That it doesn't, yes, we get to Revelation 22, but we have these little reminders over and over and over all the way through. And so, I'll just read this verse one more time. Through Christ... We're believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Our faith and our hope are in God. Both. All right, I'll pray for us. Father, we're just thankful. Uh, and we do just ask, would you realign our hearts? We want to fully trust you and have our faith be in you. And we don't want our hope to be start want to wander we want it to be in you as well so we're asking for help 
Uh, we do thank you and praise you for all that you've given us, uh, but we just pray that it wouldn't distract our heart from the things that matter most, and that's you and eternity and what you're, you've done for us and your glory and not just our comfort. So we're looking to you for help, and we believe and we trust that you will help us and show us anywhere where we've um, our gaze has drifted to, towards lesser things. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the assurances that you've given us that we will make it to the end uh, because of your faithfulness. Thank you for loving your people and providing for us, protecting us, and bringing us on. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.